The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to go back to the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, and uh, we're going to pick this up here in verse 43, and Jesus is now making his way back to Galilee. Now, even though it's been a few chapters and seems like a fairly lengthy time period, it's probably only been a few weeks since the miracle that he performed returning the water to wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. If you remember that happened there in John chapter 2. And then Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem for one of the required feasts that they had to travel to Jerusalem for. And then in John chapter 3, we know his interaction there with Nicodemus by night, his discussion with him by night. And then spent a little bit more time in Judea. And then when he made his way back to Galilee, the, the earlier portion of John chapter 4 was when he made his way back through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria, right? So even though it's been almost two, maybe almost three full chapters um, from when he performed this first miracle in Cana of Galilee, it's probably only been a few weeks, okay? So it's his first time back in Galilee, his home region since he performed that miracle in Cana of Galilee of turned the water to wine, but then also since he performed other very prominent miracles in Jerusalem when he was in the feast, and we find here in the latter, <clears throat> the latter portion of John chapter 4 that there were some people from Galilee that saw him perform those miracles when they were in Jerusalem. So John chapter 4, verse 43. Now after two days, two days of him spending time ministering to those in Samaria, the Samaritans that came out to inquire, and then many of them believed on him as the Son of God and as the Christ. So after two days in Samaria, he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. And Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then he inquired he of them, 
the hour that he began to amend or to get better. And they said unto him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus saith unto him, thy son liveth and himself believed and his whole house. And this is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. So, Jesus is returning back from Jerusalem by way of Samaria, returning back to his home region there in Galilee. Verse 44, Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. And this is still fairly early on in the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's highlighted in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus goes into a synagogue and he opens up the scrolls, opens up the word of God in Nazareth, and he proclaims the word of the Lord. He talks about the sovereignty of God and election and choosing to bestow favor upon Naaman the Syrian and the, uh, one of those widows in the Old Testament, one of these Gentile widows in the Old Testament. And the people there in Nazareth are so upset by that that they want to shove him off the cliff and stone him. So it's certainly true that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. But we have a little bit of a vibe here in verse 45. The Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. Kind of similar to what we find a little bit later on in, in John chapter 6, that there were some people that received him when they saw the uh, feeding of the 5,000 and they received the loaves and the fishes. And they were really interested in that and they really followed him not out of sincerity, but out of a desire to receive more of the loaves and the fishes. They were very intrigued by this miracle. And it seems like these Galileans may have had the same kind of idea. They didn't originally um, believe on him. It's, it's interesting the way that Jesus performed this miracle there in Cana of Galilee, and he really didn't publicize it very much. And then he very quickly goes to Jerusalem to the feast, but then obviously word got out about the miracle that was performed. So now you have this buzz about Jesus that's been building and building for a few weeks, and now he's finally come back, and people are interested, especially when they heard about what he did in Jerusalem, these miracles he performed in Jerusalem, and they are coming out to, uh, this may be diluting it a little bit, but almost kind of want to see what magic trick he's going to do next, right? They're intrigued, they're intrigued, but I don't really know if it's sincere belief necessarily kind of like those people in John chapter 6 who followed him but it wasn't really they weren't following him out of a trust and a belief in Jesus Christ they were following him for the loaves and the fishes so the Galileans it says they received him having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast for they also went unto the feast so now he goes back into verse 46 Cana of Galilee returning to the same city where he made the water into wine at that marriage, again, probably just a few weeks before. And there was a certain nobleman. I love how the scripture always highlights a certain person, a certain nobleman, a certain ruler among the people, a royal official who had a very prominent office, most likely there in that local province, a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So Capernaum 
is on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And that's, that's really one of the hubs of Jesus' ministry, right? I'm sure you've seen that name before if you read the Gospels. Now, Cano Galilee, if you look at, don't look at them now, at the map, the maps in the back of your Bible. But if you look at them later, you will see that Cano Galilee is a little bit more in the country. Roughly, we could estimate maybe a 15-mile difference, okay? At a minimum, we know it was an overnight journey distance because Jesus heals this young man and he is not able to make it back home until the next day. He said yesterday at the seventh hour, yesterday at 1 p.m. is when he was healed. So at a minimum, this was an overnight journey, right? Probably 15 miles going out into the country, so to say, into Cana of Galilee. So this nobleman has a severe need. His son is at the point of death. He has this very severe fever, and he feels like that, that his child is about to die. And he has the correct response in faith is that whether he had seen things that Jesus had done before, um, or if maybe he was one of those men, he, he was a very prominent person, a nobleman, you would think that he was probably in Jerusalem and he may have saw in person some of those miracles that Jesus did in Jerusalem. Whether it was by word of mouth or whether it was by him seeing what Jesus has done. Jesus, he knew that the greatest remedy that I could offer unto my son, no doubt they've, they've tried all the medicines at this point, no doubt. They've consulted the doctors. Now I have to pursue Christ pursue Jesus of Nazareth to see if he has the, or if he's willing to heal my son. So I want you to think about that. Um, there's, there's a few places in scripture where it describes a man's faith being great or a woman's faith being great. And they were actually among the Gentiles were the two places where the, their faith is described by Jesus being great. But think about the faith that this man has to leave his dying child. How many of you, if your child is in that perilous of a medical condition, is going to leave them at all? Well, the answer is none of you, right? None of you are going to leave them at all. But to leave them to go on a 15-mile overnight journey in hopes of finding Jesus, in hopes that maybe he might see fit. Because in his mind, this is one of the most important things to highlight out of this story. In his mind, he had to get Jesus to come to his house to heal his son. Now, Jesus displays his sovereignty and his divinity by showing that he has the ability to heal solely at his word, right? But this man shows up with the belief and the assumption that I have to convince him to come to my house. So therefore, I have to convince him, I, I believe my child's at the point of death, I'm leaving him at the point of death, and I'm going on an overnight journey in hopes of getting him to come back with me that's possibly then another overnight journey with a very slim, if he's, if he's that severe, we're looking at two to three days. There's, a, there's kind of a slim chance if he's that severe that he's going to make it out of this because in his mind, think about this, when he shows up at least. <laughs> now, I believe that his faith was emboldened 
when Jesus told him, thy son liveth. But when he showed up, he thought that he had to get get Jesus back to his house to heal him. Okay? So, he's willing to leave the bedside of his son that he feels like is about to die, go on an overnight journey in hopes of finding Jesus, in hopes that he would be compassionate to go back with him to save his son from passing away. So now... He finds Jesus here in Cana of Galilee. And then Jesus is is a little brusque with him, honestly. Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now notice the the ye's there, okay, in your King James Bible. Um, He's saying that ye is actually uh, the individual person that he's talking to, whereas you is actually a plural in the King James Bible. So he's saying, except you individually see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now that kind of makes me think that he may have seen some of these miracles that Jesus did in Jerusalem. And we don't know what specifically what, uh, what miracles Jesus did in Jerusalem, but I bet there's a good chance there was some degree of healing, right? There was some degree of him healing someone that was sick. So he's showing up in faith. But no doubt this man, this nobleman, had had been corrupted or at least influenced by the attitude of the the Pharisees and of the Jews. And Jesus talks about the general disposition of that generation. Not individual people, but the general disposition of the Jews in that day is that an evil and adulterous generation, again, that group of people in general during that time, They seek after a sign. Now, by the way, that's one of the most important things about this miracle. And hopefully we'll highlight later the seven miracles that are the the focus of the first 11 chapters of the Gospel of John. It really centers, among other things, but but it centers on seven miracles that declare the divinity of Jesus Christ. So the Jews say, well, you have to show us a sign if we're going to believe that you're really who you say that you are. And then Jesus just manifested. Again, these are the seven that are highlighted in the Gospel of John. But everywhere he went, he gave them signs. So it's not about signs. Uh, it's the, the, uh, the, the quantity and the quality of signs are, are more than adequate to defend his divinity. The problem, as Jesus highlights a little bit later on in the Gospel of John, doesn't have anything to do with whether you see a sign or not. It has to do with your inner heart of if you've truly been born again to have the capacity to believe this or not. Okay? So, he tells this, uh, no doubt, frazzled, afraid, um, pre-grieving dad. Except you see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now, he's already showing up in faith. And again, that's maybe a little brusque with it. But sometimes Jesus challenges, the way way that he interacts with people is um, he challenges them in the midst of their conversations. Maybe that's what he's doing a little bit here. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. So I believe that if you come down to my house, you can heal them. I believe that in faith. And then Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word 
that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And then he makes his way back home again. An overnight journey. Uh, obviously, Jesus tells him that uh, from the, his account on the seventh hour, which is about 1 p.m. So then the next day, he finally makes his way back home, and he inquired of them the hour that his son began to get better. And they said, yesterday, the seventh hour. And the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. And, as a result of this, and himself believed in his whole house. So, I want you to think about this. The nobleman, again, shows up with an expectation that Jesus can heal my son. But he believes, I have to convince you to make the physical journey so you can touch him, so you can be in his physical presence to be able to heal him. And Jesus just offers the command of his word. He's the living word. Remember, that's how this this whole gospel was introduced. Jesus is the word, capital W, living word, and in him was life. That's what's what he does. He speaks life into sickness. He speaks life into situations of death and decay. He, he revives. He revives from physical death, from spiritual death, but he also revives from the point of death as well. But I want you to notice how he exhibits here by this miracle that I have the power. Jesus of Nazareth is this is his second miracle that is highlighted that he did in Galilee. He did other miracles in Jerusalem that are not highlighted in this gospel account. But this is highlighted in verse 54 as the second miracle that he did after turning water into wine. And each of these miracles display a different aspect of Christ's claim and also his validation of his divinity. Okay? Now, think about this. We we believe today that God is able to heal those we pray unto him and we hope if it's according to his will that he can miraculous miraculously heal those that are in need i think in today's climate a lot of times the lord has given us the blessing of modern medicine so somebody may take a medicine but you know what that person would have been dead 50 years ago 100 years ago if god had not blessed us with all the blessings of modern medicine so when someone takes a medicine uh, don't thank the uh, pharmaceutical company for building, uh, for, for producing that. I mean, I'm glad they, they did their due diligence, but all those blessings come down from the Lord. But many times, sometimes rather, uh, according to God's will, the Lord, not by way of surgery, not by way of a medicine, God will just miraculously heal those that are sick. And we, we need to never lose sight of God's power to do that. Just because he doesn't see fit to intervene himself in every situation to to powerfully manifest his ability to heal as the great physician does not undermine his ability to do that at any time according to his will, okay? By the way, how do we invite, how, how do we request, how do we petition the Lord to manifest himself in that powerful way to heal those, especially those that are at the point of death. How do we do that? 
by bringing our petitions before the Son of God in our day in prayer, right? In this day, he had the ability to come and make this petition to God manifest in the flesh in person, but we bring those petitions in prayer. But think about all of the different examples all throughout Scripture where God, think about the Old Testament. God's in heaven, right? God's in heaven. And God miraculously healed people, not by being in the physical room with them and touching them, but just by his word, just by his command. Uh, one of the more prominent ones we could think about, especially being at the point of death, is Hezekiah, right? He told Hezekiah, get your house in order. You're about to die. You're about to die. And what did Hezekiah do? He petitioned Jesus Christ, didn't he? He turned to the wall and he prayed unto God. He prayed unto Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. What, what did God do according to his will? He heeded that and he was healed and then he ended up living 15 more years. So God did that. He healed him from heaven. So if someone has the ability to heal by, their, by the power of their voice from a minimum of 15 miles away, do you think that any human has the ability to do that? Well, no, of course not, right? That proves his divinity, right? That proves his divinity. Now, the Holy Spirit came down in the early church on the apostles in a very special way. And they had the ability to perform miraculous healings, but they had to be there, right? They had to touch them. They had to be in their presence where someone could touch, in the book of Acts, the handkerchief of Paul, or maybe even uh, be under the shadow of Peter. So you have times in which there, there were miraculous healings manifested, but only one has the power to proclaim healing, not in the physical presence, but, but showing his sovereignty over distance as the omnipresent God, who has the ability to heal solely by his voice? Well, only God has that power, right? Only God has that power. And he's manifesting that here in this miracle. Go thy way, thy son liveth. Just by his word, he commands the, even down to, I love, I love how God is so amazing and vast and his greatness is so powerful and unsearchable. But Jesus works in cellular biology, right? I, I just think about how the, the Lord commands um, healing to come and immediately those individual cells respond to the command of the sovereign of this universe, right? Those individual cells respond and, and immediately his fever goes away. Why? Because God is sovereign over all of his creation. He's sovereign over every sickness. He's so sovereign over every malady and affliction that we have in our life. So, so this is um, another one of the, the pivotal miracles that are highlighted in the first 11 chapters of the Gospel of John. Just to kind of give you a little bit of a bigger picture here. Remember, the beginning of the Gospel of John was a preface that said that the Word was in the beginning with God, the Word in, in Him was life, and in Him was the light of men. So you have that preface describing Jesus coming down from heaven, and then you have the next 11 chapters 
that are manifesting publicly that he is who he said he was, that the word was made flesh, that he was God manifest in the flesh. And then chapters 12 through the end of the book, through verse uh, through chapter 21, is focusing on the last week of Jesus' life and obviously leading up to his, uh, his crucifixion. And then the pinnacle sign was obviously his, his, his resurrection from the dead, okay? Uh, so just to um, kind of keep these in mind as we go through these, um, this is the second miracle, one of those pivotal miracles that, that declare a different aspect of Jesus' divinity and his power over various aspects of this life of creation, uh, over sickness, and then ultimately over death. And just to get, give you a little bit of a highlight of those to kind of keep in mind um, as we continue, Lord willing, to go through the Gospel of John, there's seven miracles, this being the second one. The first of those is turning the water into wine from John chapter 2, right? And he has the power over that, that, those natural substances to, again, get down on a molecular, biological level and, and change the nature and the composition of that in a natural sense by what? Just by his command, by his voice. Remember how he was introduced. Um, how, how, did, how did Jesus perform just about all of these miracles? By his word. He's the living word, right? He performed it verbally by the voice of the Son of God. Turning the water into wine. This is the second one. Healing the nobleman's son. Just declaring that he has the ability to heal at any distance because he's the omnipresent and the omnipotent God. Then in chapter 5, the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Then the feeding of the 5,000, which by the way, five of these are only, five of these miracles are only in the Gospel of John. The two that are in the other Gospels are the feeding of the 5,000, right? And then him walking on water. And then the sixth miracle would be healing the blind man in John chapter 9. Then the seventh of those, we know that the uh, number seven is always the number of biblical perfection and completion. And what is the seventh of these miracles? Well, that's in John chapter 11 where Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. So he's showing his sovereignty over all this all natural creation. And then the final pivotal miracle that's highlighted there in the Gospel of John is his sovereignty and his power to resurrect Lazarus, which is a precursor of what? His own resurrection. Of him not commanding a person that's been dead for four days to come up and be resurrected, but him resurrecting himself and taking his life back upon, uh, upon himself, that he resurrected himself, right? So this particular miracle declares God's sovereignty and his omnipotence and his omnipresence as well. To heal according to his will whenever and particularly wherever he sees fit. He's not limited by any distance 
the only thing to a large degree God is limited by is our prayers, our petitions to God for our um, for intervention with ourselves or our loved ones. Then we all ha- always have to pray according to His will, right? We know it's not God's miraculous will to uh, intervene when someone is at the point of death every time. Sometimes it's His will to give them ultimate healing and take them on to heaven. But many times, the Lord will put things in such a situation, He'll suffer a situation to get to get so difficult to where when healing comes, I love when the doctors get baffled. I love when the doctors say, well, we have no idea. Well, we do, right? Because we can see by faith that all healing, whether it's from the hand of a surgeon or whether it's from a, a medicine bottle or whether it's, it's solely by the direct working and hand of the sovereignty of God apart from any medical intervention, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above and any, and any healing from, of medical illnesses, especially of those that are at the point of death. I believe that definitely qualifies as a good thing. And that comes down from heaven. It doesn't come from the fallen nature of this world. But God is sovereign. God's sovereign in every area of life. So therefore, we bring our petitions to Him, submitting to His will, and never limiting His ability. Because they see, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit makes intercession. We bring our prayers unto Him, and we hope that they're a sweet-smelling savor unto Him. But the Holy Spirit takes that. And then, if we put any type of limitation on God's ability to bless, to heal in a specific situation, the Holy Spirit takes that, and He removes any type of limitation that we might put on it because the Holy, the Holy Spirit makes intercession to God the Father according to the will of God with groanings that cannot be uttered. So I want you to think about this. This man showed up with a petition to Jesus putting a limitation on what had to happen and what was possible. Well, what did the Lord do? <laughs> he just removed that limitation and answered the real burden of his heart and the burden of his request, right? His request was, I need you to come with me. (laughs) And Jesus said, no, I don't have to come with you. I can heal him just fine from right here. And I love how the Holy Spirit takes that. That man puts a limitation on God's ability to do something. And the Holy Spirit removes that limitation when it is presented before God the Father with groanings that cannot be uttered. And then look what Jesus Christ does. He answers in a way that even the petitioner, and we need, to, we need to do our duty to pray. We have not because we ask not. But I love how in his prayer, he put a limitation on God's ability to answer, and the Lord's answer to that removed that limitation, right? Aren't you glad that God blesses us in spite of ourselves? <laughs> that he blesses us in spite of us not being able to articulate our prayers properly, even when we put uh, a cap on God's ability to do something, the Holy Spirit removes that limitation. And the Lord, according to His will, according to His will, it's not always His will to miraculously manifest Himself by way of healing. But let's not ever limit 
God's ability based on our own shortened vision of how, what God is able to do. Because God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. But even in spite of his limitations that he put on prayer, there were no limitations on Jesus' answer to that prayer. Right? And we sure are thankful for for that blessing in our lives as well. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.